Welcome to RevMD, a podcast created for healthcare professionals by healthcare professionals. We will share tips on medical billing and coding, as well as workflow optimization to help practices succeed, thrive, and grow revenue. This week on RevMD, we're going to start our two-week discussion on payer contracts because they are confusing and oftentimes pages long with complicated language and often provisions we don't really want to read through. But we really need to make sure we define and go over the high-level things when thinking about payer contracts so that you have top tactics in order to get organized and manage your practice. Now, payer contracts are extremely important for obvious reasons, right? They define and explain how a physician or provider or group gets paid and can often get in the way of being able to take care of patients if you can't get this part right. So first, what are payer contracts? So obviously, these are the contracts with insurance companies that help explain a provider's reimbursement for providing healthcare to patients covered by those specific plans. These go over everything from reimbursement rates and provider networks to what is considered medically necessary, and of course, any quality metrics measured that are necessary for reimbursement or at least hitting that target of reimbursement. Understanding these complex payer contracts is going to be absolutely key to ensure that you have timely, correct reimbursement and that you're keeping your practice thriving. It's important for someone in the office, now listen to me, it doesn't necessarily need to be the lead physician or healthcare practitioner who owns the practice. It just needs to be someone in the office who knows the ins and outs of your payer contracts. And I don't mean every single line in the contract. I mean, what payer contracts are you credentialed with? What plans does that include? When do you need to get re-credentialed? And then keeping all of those copies of contracts somewhere safe. Now, there are great services that offer this, um, some that we partner with, and we will be having them on in a couple of weeks to help share their experience and their tips. So like we've talked about before, you need to keep copies of these contracts. So if an issue comes up, you can understand what your rights are. The entire contracting process is complex, it's time-consuming, and quite frankly, pretty frustrating for physicians. So we're going to define a few things, and then next week, talk further on the top tips. So let's define some things that you'll see in your contracts. Allowed amount. This is the amount on a payer contract that is the maximum a payer will reimburse a provider for a covered service that is considered in-network. Now, this amount doesn't always cover provider charges, and depending on the situation, patients may be responsible for covering those balances. Medicare will set an allowed amount for services in their fee schedule, which is easy to find, it's online, it's searchable, it's great. Now, many private payers, it's a lot more challenging to get the fee schedule for those, and you will want to make sure you understand how those commercial payers set their own fee schedule and try and get a copy of those fees for your own contracts. Next, let's define clean claim. We've discussed this before, but it's important to understand. So clean claims mean that the payer will process the claim without needing more information. While you can't always expect 100% clean claim rate, you should shoot for over 90%. And this can be anything related to giving the appropriate and accurate patient demographics, insurance information, CPT codes, ICD-10 codes. And so all of this kind of leans in on the clean claim rate. 
Now, obviously your billing team should be scrubbing for those claims, but the more automated you make this process and the more educated your front office staff is and the more competent your billing team is in getting this right the first time, the quicker you get paid in the office. Now let's talk about timely filing limits. So payer contracts will define the timeframes claims must be submitted to get paid. And this can range sometimes as low as 30 days, although that's not very common, 90 days, 120 days, 180 days, up to 365 days, which we see with Medicare. That's the longest that I've seen. Now, payer contracts will also outline details on timely filing limit and how to manage disputes if there is a claim denial or appeal. It's important to understand these dispute resolution clauses in the contracts and how disputes and denials impact your timely filing limit. Next, let's talk about the fee schedule. Now, I know I don't need a defined fee schedule for you, right? That's obviously the list of fees or payments for services, and each payer contract should have one. What I don't want happening is for you to not have a copy of one of these. Please make sure that you're working with your payer representative and getting a copy of the payer fee schedule. Medicare always provides the fees for service under Medicare Part B services. And of course, like I mentioned, it's online, it's easier to find, um, it's great to search. For Medicare, each CPT code will receive a relative value unit. So that's gonna be the RVU, which are then adjusted for geographical cost index and the national conversion factor, which then results in a Medicare allowed amount for a specific code in a specific location. And of course, most payers follow a similar process. I just don't find them always to be as transparent. Payer contracts will also outline the services that are considered medically necessary, and only those services are going to be reimbursed for. These clauses may specify timing of a procedure or care that can be reimbursed. These fee schedules and medical necessity clauses are critical to have reviewed by someone who's doing your credentialing who's very knowledgeable. Let's talk about termination. It's important that contracts outline the circumstances that either party, either the payer or the provider or or group can terminate the agreement and any post-termination duties that are going to be necessary. And this could be things like how often or how long does the payer have to pay you any outstanding compensation. And so you're going to want to make sure you understand your rights as well as their rights when it comes to termination of agreements. Now, unilateral amendments is probably something you may not all have heard about. And this is one of the last things we'll define today. So unilateral amendments is important to understand and find in your contract because this is language in your contract that basically allows a payer to change contract provisions, which could be without notifying you or without getting your approval. This is what, you know, means uh, a unilateral amendment is in the contract. Now, They can change anything from reimbursement rates to what defines network participation. And the worst case scenario is that they say that they can change any of these things without your approval. Now, best case scenario is they give you at least some time frame uh, to object from this. But that, of course, means you have to make sure that your notifications are set up appropriately so that someone is getting that email or that notification to say, hey, something's changing. Do we want to fight back on that or do we want to agree to it? And this is where 
I often see offices getting into trouble because what they'll do is they'll have one person in the office who's in charge of credentialing, that one person, that one email address. And then if that person leaves, then all of the knowledge with regards to contracts and credentialing and notifications goes with that person or disappears. And so I really suggest having a general email box for your practice, credentialing at yada yada.com. And that's where everything goes, or admin at yada yada.com, so that you can have one process, one email for all notifications to go to there, you know, a set of individuals who have access to that. And then you keep very close eye on, okay, who are my payers? Who are my contracts? When am I need to get recredentialed? What's due when? Who's my payer representative? You know, if you can keep track of that. I know that's not always very uh, transparent either, but keeping organized in some sort of format. Now, you guys all know, if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, that I love a good Excel spreadsheet. So I'm a big fan of getting yourself organized, having an Excel spreadsheet. Someone in the office needs to take care of this. If you're outsourcing credentialing, that's fine, but then you need to be the owner of those documents so that should that relationship or that company dissolve, you are the one with the access. So like I said, the terms that we've gone over today are the allowed amount, clean claim rates, timely filing limit, fee schedule, termination clauses, and unilateral amendments. Now, as I mentioned, you're going to want to also look at the payer websites for each of these. One of the toughest things we see when we transition a, a client is not having the payer logons and websites for things like Availity or Optum or UHC, et cetera. And so it's really critical that when you're getting your credentialing organized, you're also getting your list of payer websites with your logons and passwords to make sure that you have everything set up correctly and that you have multiple admins if it's more than just you. Meaning if you've designated your office manager to be the admin, my recommendation is that you make sure that one of the owners or that a general email box also has admin rights so that if you do make a change and you've had some staffing turnover, you have all of that organized and ready to go. Um, one of the struggles that I see is that they'll have an, you know, practices will have an admin who then has left, but their email is the one that's connected to the payer website admin rights. And so then trying to change passwords and get admin right, it just takes a long time. And so having a full list of all of the payer websites, all of the usernames, all of the logons is going to be critical to help make sure that you have a smooth transition, even if you have staff turnover. That way, if you do make a billing change, all of that is easy to transition over. Now, I will also say, I've seen a lot of usernames and passwords that are just shared among different staff. I really highly discourage this, not to mention the HIPAA issues, but also from a practicality perspective. If everybody has their own logon and password, if that person leaves, it's no big deal. You know, sharing the same password just gets challenging with two-part auths and um, keeping, you know, the same uh, password and not getting locked out and then having to rechange a password. So again, takeaways from today are really making sure that you have someone in your office who can get you organized with your payer credentialing and your payer websites. So I'll kind of summarize what we talked about today. So number one, 
contact your credentialing team and make sure you know where all of your payer contracts are. Get copies of them. Get the fee schedules. Understand you know, when were you credentialed? When is the next time you have to get re-credentialed? Understanding those unilateral amendments so you know, okay, can they change the rates on me? And will I even get a notification about that? I mean, if you start to see reimbursement rates go down and they've been able to change your rates without notifying you, that could be one reason. Now, if you have someone in your office who is able to, to get this organized, that's the best case scenario. Certainly, most of our um, you know, healthcare practice owners shouldn't necessarily be the one doing this, but someone in the office has to be responsible. Your credentialing team should also start a spreadsheet to keep track of these things. Um, I you know, really encourage staying organized with this because if there is turnover, you don't have to worry that some of this knowledge will be lost. Of course, always have a full list of the payers and the plans that you're credentialed with. This is important for your front office staff as well so that you can understand which plans may be out of network for a patient, which patients you need to then notify that they may be out of network while you're doing your eligibility verification, and then being able to make sure that those patients have an estimate of what services may be so that you stay in compliance with the No Surprises Act, which we'll talk a little bit more in a couple of weeks to get into the details and the weeds around that. All of these things are critical also for your billing team and for your front office to know. Obviously, your front office staff is going to be managing eligibility and prior offs. That's the best case scenario. Hopefully, your EMR or your PM software is doing that eligibility for the majority of plans automatically, so you're not having to go through payer websites or waiting on a phone. Um, but then if all of that runs smoothly, it just makes your entire billing process run smoothly as well. And last, make sure you have a list of all of your payer website logons and passwords and usernames and that you have an admin set up in the office that will be able to give rights to new team members or your new billing team if you're looking for a new billing team. So again, these are the top five takeaways when it comes to payer contracts. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about payer contracts, and some tips around getting a strategy around contract negotiation and credentialing. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And as always, I would love if you guys can go to the Apple podcast for RevMD and leave us a review. As always, if you are looking for a new full service billing partner, please reach out. We are physician owned. We understand the struggles that are going on in practices today. And for practices that sign up for full revenue cycle management services by the end of the year, we are offering a coding audit to go with it. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.